0: to 17 do not love the world or anything in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for everything in the world the cravings of sinful men the lust of his eyes the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the father but from the world the world and its desires pass away But the man who does the will of God lives forever. And we now move across to Ezekiel chapter 27, reading the whole chapter. i lament for Tyre. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning Tyre. Say to Tyre situated at the gateway of the sea, merchant of peoples on many coasts. This is what the sovereign Lord says. You say, O Tyre, I am perfect in beauty. Your domain was on the high seas. Your builders brought your beauty to perfection. They made all your timbers of pine trees from Senia. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast from you. Of oaks from Bashan, they made your oars. Of Cyprus wood from the coasts of Cyprus, they made your deck in made with ivory. Fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail and served you as your banner. Your awnings were of blue and purple from the coasts of Elisha. Men from Sidon and Arvad were your oarsmen. Your skilled men, O Tyre, were abroad as your seamen. Veteran craftsmen from Giebel were on board as shipwrights to chalk your seams. All the ships of the sea and their sailors came alongside to trade for your wares. Men of Persia, Lydia and Put served as soldiers in your army. They hung their shields and helmets on your walls, bringing you splendour. Men of Arbad and Palaq manned your walls on every side. Men of Gamed were in your towers. They hung their shields around your walls. They brought you beauty to perfection. Tarsius did business with you because of your great wealth of goods. They exchanged silver, iron, tin and lead for your merchandise. Rhys, Tubal and Meshech traded with you. They exchanged slaves and articles of bronze for your wares. Men of Beth to Gomara exchanged workhorses, warhorses, and mules for your merchandise. The men of Rhodes traded with you, and many coastlands were your customers. They paid you with ivory tusks and ebony. Aram did business with you because of your many products. They exchanged turquoise, purple fabric, embroidered work, fine linen, coral, and rubies for your merchandise. Judah and Israel traded with you. They exchanged wheat from Minnith and confections, honey, oil, and balm for your wares. Damascus, because of your many products and great wealth of goods, did business with you in wine from Pelbon and wood from Zaha. Danites and Greeks from Yuzil brought your merchandise. They exchanged wrought iron, cassia, and calamus for your wares. Dedan traded in saddle blankets with you. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your customers. They did business with you in lambs, rams, and goats. The merchants of Sheba and Rama traded with you for your merchandise. They exchanged the finest of all kinds of spices and precious stones and gold. Aaron, Kenech and Eden and merchants of Sheba, Ashua and Kilmad traded with you. In your marketplace, they traded with you beautiful garments, blue fabric, embroidered work and multicolored rugs with cords twisted and tightly knotted. The ships of Tarshish, serve as carriers for your wares. You are filled with heavy cargo in the heart of the sea. Your oarsmen take you out on the high seas. But the east wind will break you to pieces in the heart of the sea. Your wealth and your merchandise and your wares, your mariners, seamen and shipwrights, your merchants and all of your soldiers and everyone else on board will sink into the heart of the sea on the day of your shipwreck. The shorelands will quake when your seamen cry out. All who handle the oars will abandon their ships. The mariners and all of the seamen will stand on the shore and they will raise their voice and cry bitterly over you. They will sprinkle dust on their heads and roll in ashes. They will shave their heads because of you and will put on sackcloth. They will weep over you with anguish of soul and with bitter mourning. As they wail and mourn over you, they will take up a lament concerning you. Who was ever silenced like Tyre, surrounded by the sea? When your merchandise went out on the ships, you satisfied many nations. With your great wealth and your wares, you enriched the kings of the earth. And now you are shattered by the sea in the depths of the waters. Your wares and all of your company have gone down with you all who live in the coastlands are appalled at you. Your kings shudder with horror and their faces are distorted with fear. The merchants among the nations hiss at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more.
1: Thank you, Anita, for reading that for us. Uh, I chose Ezekiel 27 uh, as one of our readings. and I just realized how long it was. So well done. Um, Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) Yes, I'll struggle with them later. Um, Let's let's start in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, as we come before your word now, we ask that you would give us a hunger to know what your will is, to know how to live. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be working in us, so that when we walk out of church today, um, even while we sit in church, we'll be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and good morning to Chapel Street Online as well. Um, it's great to be with you, and uh, very happy New Year. Uh, Dorothy was greeting everyone with a ha- very happy New Year when uh, we walked in. Um, I hope you've had a restful time since we've all been uh, together last, whenever that might have been. Um, in the wake of a New Year, where we're very used to uh, seeing a bunch of uh, New Year's resolutions pop up. Um, so, uh, one simple thing that I thought that all resolutions have in common, uh, is that there requires some introspection when, before you make a resolution. So if your resolution this year is to save money, you may have looked at your bank account and thought, oh no, that may, that's some level of introspection. Um, or uh, if it's, uh, to eat less, probably looked in the mirror or something like that. Um, and the reason I start like that is because this um, this passage this morning is going to require from us some introspection, um, because it calls us to analyze our own lives and how faithful we're being to the Lord Jesus. Um, now, I've chosen uh, First John chapter 2 as our main text this morning, um, and specifically, we'll be looking at uh, the topic of worldliness, our love for the world. Um, this is something that's been burdening me for some time now, um, and the reason for that is... Just my own experience of the Christian life. Um, From what I can see, even when we are, even when I am, um, at our most zealous, we can be very, uh, we can display a great deal of blindness regarding our love for the world. Uh, We all live in a very luxurious and affluent nation. um, And worse still, we live in a world that desires us to swear allegiance to it, to its ideas and its priorities. And subsequently, um, it seems that even here in church, uh, we were very vulnerable to being comfortable, cosy, and at home in the world, when, as the song that we just uh, sung calls us to be pilgrims. Perhaps the following might describe you. I show up to church every week. I attend a Bible study. Or if I don't, sometimes I go to a prayer meeting. Occasionally, I meet up with Christian friends, but we don't feel frequently. Compelled to talk about spiritual things Uh, i pray as much as i can though things are often very busy i read my bible i even think about god and things religious when no one's around but i really love my home my vehicle my possessions my bank account my hobbies my work my reputation my friendships and family i spend a great deal of time pursuing these things And I feel a sense of loss when these things are lost or taken away from me. I struggle deeply at the thought of losing people's respect or approval. I often find myself doing things just to impress people. I regularly spend more money on things that I don't need, and I spend more money than I need to so that what I have is nice. The concept of living below my means just so that I can give the rest to others is foreign to me. If I had to go a month without television or Netflix or those sorts of things, I wouldn't know what to do with my time. And if I could only read the Bible in my leisure time, I might feel a bit disappointed. There's a lot more things that could be said, uh, but if we can hear ourselves in at least some of those things, uh, then we need to pay attention to what God's word is saying. this morning, Because our text this morning is a warning to churchgoers just like us, do not love the world. And what we should fear is that if these things are true of us, then our affections, what delights us, might be deeply out of sync with what uh, delights Christ. <laughs> that what is precious to him seems only a distant thought to us at times. Um, and that if Christ were to be put in our shoes today, he would walk out that door very differently than the way that we would. And so what I hope to communicate today uh, is that worldliness is something that every true Christian should shudder at. We should be fearful of being worldly, and to do everything in our power to avoid it. I certainly don't want this, though, um, to be a, a cause for discouragement, um, especially when we are truly saved. Nor is this in any way to say that having less is more godly. It's not necessarily true. Uh, it just does mean that an attachment to less is more godly, and that when we are attached to less, we naturally have less over time. Um, godliness is not hiding ourselves away from the world so that it can't touch us um, and we shouldn't feel ashamed when out of our love for god we enjoy the things that he's given us um, what i think this text is saying though um, is that we should be very wary in discerning whether our enjoyment of worldly things even good things is biblical uh, so this is a, a big uh, topic and that requires some examination so if you could flick to first john chapter two if you're not already there Um, I have three points. The first is uh, love and the world. In this epistle, uh, John is writing to combat false teaching that was very prevalent in his day. Um, and he also uh, takes it to remind Christians of the foundation for their assurance in Christ. Um, so far, he's reminded the audience of the Word being made flesh, which just celebrated that at Christmas, um, that God is light, that He's holy of the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ and the command for Christians to love. And as you read, you'll notice that John sees that walking in a certain way is a non-negotiable part of being a Christian. If God is like this, then we must also be like that. And this continues on in our passage this morning, where John reminds us, uh, reminds the church, that in our walking a certain way, our love must be set on one the Lord our God, to the exclusion of all others. So verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So right at the start, we have this imperative, do not love the world, um, and therefore, love God instead. Um, And before we go any further, uh, I thought it would be good to define two of those words, just so that we know exactly what John is saying. Um, Those words are love. And the world do not love the world and do not love the world firstly love the word love here comes from the greek word agape as most of us probably know um, and its usage essentially means to put something first or to prize above other things to belong to christ john says means that you will not put the world first if you were to do a quick search you would find two examples in john's gospel and i'll read them for us now The first one is John 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Then secondly, from John 12, verse 43. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, that is Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So notice that in both instances, the people concerned were forced to make a choice. Either they love the darkness or they love the light. Either they love the glory that comes from man or the glory that comes from God. You can't have it both ways. And Satan is very happy when we become complacent about this command because he knows, as First John says, um, that people who are saved have to be lovers of God. Therefore, no, first of all, that your heart is, is being fought for by the world, by the devil. Your daily challenge, our daily challenge, is to face the seduction of the world every waking minute. But who or what is doing the seducing? So now we have to define the world. And the Greek word for the world is cosmos. Most define this word in this context as that which is set against God, that which opposes his rule. And we heard from our Series in Ephesians that the devil is the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world. And at his command are legions of angels, a whole system of principalities that are opposing God. And therefore, we know that friendship with the world is enmity with God. John also, I think, clarifies what he means by all that is in the world in verse sixteen. Verse sixteen: For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. And the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So we have the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Firstly, we'll take them in turn. So firstly, the desires of the flesh. What this refers to is all manner of bodily cravings, such as gluttony, drunkenness, sexual immorality, um, even things that just make us feel good. I don't think it's um, confined just to gluttony and drunkenness. It's whatever makes us feel good. And so comfort, laziness, whatever in a given moment um, makes us take the easy road out when we should be doing something else. Um, giving into the desires of the flesh is ignoring the world of opportunity and need out there, uh, forgetting that thousands are perishing and moving towards a Christless eternity, but still being found thinking in our hearts what would I like to do this morning what would feel good? so and so did this said this did I like that? I'm focusing on that. It's not just basing uh, it's not basing our decisions on what's right or what's good It's basing our decisions on what would please us. The flesh doesn't seek to please anyone but itself. Secondly the desires of the eyes um, It holds a similar idea uh, but instead of what we feel, uh, we can say that this is more being dictated by what we see. So if I see something and I like it, then I go after It's what I see to my life. There's so much this could cover, um, but a love for pornography um, could be um, included in this. Um, to cover your neighbor's goods also shows that you show more uh, regard for uh, the things of the world than um, I was thinking about this. Uh, an example might also be um, our attachment to clothes or, at least, you know, I've been moving um, and we've been thinking about furniture. Um, and I was just thinking, don't we just wear clothes to be modest and to keep warm? But somehow it's become, I like the look of that or I don't like the look of that. And that's the main thing that makes us buy something. And the same with furniture. is not a couch, just a couch that we sit on. Um, again, we're sort of moving away from what's actually important towards what we like and um, we should be wary. Finally, the pride of life. Uh, The word for life here is used in chapter three to mean the world's goods. So we're talking about the pride of owning possessions. Uh, Anita's version also mentioned um, what we do, taking pride in what we do. Um, So the pride of life is where, where we make ourselves look good uh, in what we have or what we do, um, and chase after things that look good in the hopes that when people look at us, all they see is something beautiful, something that they can envy. Um, and again, a big struggle for myself um, moving into the new house um, has been to remember that Jesus says, Your life, is that, your life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions, it actually consists. And something else, something far more important. So, why take pride in our house or our appearance? So, we've got the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye and the eyes and the pride of life. Sorry, and none of these are from the Father. If we love them and do not strive to part with them, then we cannot share in the Father. Jesus makes that clear: that you cannot serve two masters. Or, to put it another way. If I say, and I'm sure that all of us would say that here, if I say that I love or I long to be with God, then I can't love living in the devil's house. That is the world. And so what is it that we're being called not to love? What is the world? John Calvin actually referred to it as the abyss of all evils. The system governing the world, controlled by the devil, set against God and all who follow him. Neither should be placed first in our hearts the things of the world, all manner of earthly goods, endowments, riches, advantages, and pleasures. That includes everything. Else. In the comfort of our lives, in the comfort of my life, I was asking myself this morning, when was the last time you thought of the world that way? We know that God did so love the world, but it was never by virtue of the world's loving us. And apart from the things that God has done, God is not pleased when he looks down to earth and heaven. And yet I can be so forgetful and love the world so quickly. Therefore, John reminds us: do not love the world. Um, so if second heading is idolatry. Um, if love in this sense means to put something first, then essentially what John is uh, warning us against is uh, idolatry when we love the world more than we love God. And so we need to start thinking, how do I know that I have an idol? And what do I do if I do? Someone might say, I'm a Christian, and I have the Holy Spirit. I have a new heart. Surely I can't love the world more than I love God. But based on what the Bible says about my own heart and the struggle of my sanctification, I'm convinced that it's just not that simple. When we think of idolatry today, even, we tend to think in terms far too simple, far too basic to do justice to God's holiness. If he is a holy, majestic, and at times a terrifying God, um, then even the slightest inkling um, that is not according to his will is enough to be idolatrous. In Exodus, God says, I am a jealous God. And not only is he a jealous God, but he's also a consuming fire visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. He is holy, and he will not share his throne. Think of when the Israelites made and worshipped the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai. Everyone knows that they were committing uh, idolatry, Um, but have you ever stopped and thought they actually committed idolatry far before they made the physical idol? They had to think first in their minds about me at that point they were and remember the Pharisees before Christ looking to the letter of the law and they thought they had everything figured out they had all the laws around the law Um, and yet Jesus came along and shocked them by saying if you so much as hate your neighbor you're murdered and so they, they were a completely different level to Jesus to God and what should that tell us I think I think it should tell us that we're prone to making God in our own image, to watering him down so much that we don't actually see our own idol. And therefore, the first point of application, I think, is a change of perspective. We need to change our mindset this morning. So I want just to just throw out a question. Is it is it okay to love something that is in the world? Or to want... Oh, sorry. Yeah, is it okay to want something in the world that is good, not necessarily I think the answer is no. Not unless we first love God. Not unless He is our first and primary joy. There should be no wanting of things in this world that is biblical outside of. Your wanting of something should only ever be a direct result of being consumed by the pursuit of this kingdom. Um, Because otherwise we'd be abusing our freedom in Christ, saying we have freedom in Christ but then pursuing the things of the world. We should be putting, I think, the onus back on ourselves to sometimes prove that the thing that I'm going after is biblical, is according to God's. And why? Because one day, each of us will face it on the judgment day, and our sins will be revealed. And on that day, just say that he looks at your sin, that he looks at my sin, and then he looks at me and meets me in the eye and says, why did you do that? What reason for going after that? Think, what? Why? Why did you buy it? Why did you spend time? Sometimes we might just have to reply in honesty, Well, I was just enjoying the desires of my flesh. I was giving into the part of life. I don't want to have to answer him that way. You don't either. So, how often, firstly, do you inquire into the lasting value of the things you do? And we have to be very careful. Um, You are saved by God's grace. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and there's no way that we'll be cast into hell because we did something wrong, um, that um, we did something or failed to do something that we should have done. Um, as one theologian put it, the failures and shortcomings of believers will enter into the judgment on the final day. But they will be, they will enter into the judgment as forgiven sins, whose guilt has been totally covered by the blood. Remember, too, uh, that John, actually in chapter 1, verse 8, said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we have to confess our sin, then perfection is not the expectation. Um, Yet at the same time, uh, John says in chapter 2 that if we are in him, we walk according to the way he walked. God will not be mocked, but neither will, will he be faithless. Those who love him and who call upon his name. The question is, do you love him? Are you trying to love him? Or have we given up on fighting what our heart most longs for? So, how do we know that we have an idol? Um, Firstly, ask yourself, what do I think about most? What do I think about most? I was watching a message from Paul Washer and he said, if you if you ask yourself that question and answer it properly, you pretty much put your put your finger on your idol. Often and most of the time, the thing that we love most is the thing that we can't stop thinking about. In the business and responsibilities of life, what do you most desire just to slip away to? to? Stop doing all the things you, that you have to do, and what do you desire to slip away to? Is it prayer? Is it time with God? Is it a night in front of the telly? It's the challenge for my heart. And so if we are to heed what God says, we should remember that God is a jealous God um, and analyze our hearts that we are not deceived. Uh, But above all, we must pray um, because it is only when the grace of God is given to us that we were and that we are freed from the Lord. Only God can help us love the world more than Him. It's His Spirit working in us. And so, thirdly and finally, um, the world and eternity. That's the third heading. I'd like to finish with an example of this love of the world, which uh, Anita read for us in Ezekiel, and then return to John's last words on the matter. For this, we'll need to flip through to our first Bible reading, Ezekiel. So if you could go to Ezekiel 27. Um, we won't read the whole thing or go through the whole thing. Um, but this chapter is, is one of a few chapters um, in the middle of the book of Ezekiel depicting God's judgment on the nations around Israel. Um, and it's essentially a description of the city called Tyre, um, located to the north of Israel along the coastline of the Mediterranean. Um, It was a mighty seafaring city, having accumulated wealth via um, innumerable trade with all uh, neighboring countries. You see that in verses 12 to 25. And God pronounces his judgment. And as he does that, um, you begin to get a a bit of an idea of what it would mean for us to have uh, accepted uh, the devil's offer when he offered Jesus the whole world. Um, And it starts like this, O Tyre. You have said, I am perfect in beauty. There's the pride of life. Um, why did they say that? Well, it's because they had the choicest of everything. Their planks were from the best fir trees of Sina. Uh, the the mast came from the cedar of Lebanon. Uh, their oaks were made from the oaks of Bashan, and their deck was made from the pine of Cyprus. Then they inlaid it with ivory just because they could. The linen uh, from Egypt was used as a sail and a decorated awning came from Elisha. It was filled with strong men from Sidon, Arvad, Gibor, and Persia. In every single way, this was it. Um, there was no finer ship than this one to be found anyway. So I had everything. Um, but what was the end to their wilderness? What was the end of their glorious ship? Verses 26 and 27. Your rowers brought you out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you in the heart of the seas. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, your mariners and your pilots, your corkers, your dealers and merchandise, and all your men of war who are in you, with all your crew that is in your midst, sink into the heart of the seas on the day of And then verse 33. When your wares came from the seas, you satisfied many peoples. With your abundant wealth and merchandise, you enriched the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas, in the depths of the waters, your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. At the end of your life, what's going to happen to your possessions? They will go down with you. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, all gone. Um, and then you satisfied many peoples, verse 33 or 34. You enriched the kings of the earth. There's a great picture of um, worldly success and popularity. It's all nothing. Our shipwreck is coming. No matter how great the mark that you leave is, no matter how abundant your possessions, you will sink, we will die. And it will be forgotten? O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. In what way are we trying to make ourselves perfect in beauty? What are our ivory decks and our purple awnings? Now, if we come back to first John chapter two, we'll look at verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The world is passing away. It's here now, but it's being pushed out. Um, It's crumbling. It's about to give way. If you've read Ecclesiastes recently, it's like the vapor in Ecclesiastes. It's evaporating. John has already said in chapter 2, verse 8, that the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. So is the world. We can't escape this. Our bodies, our possessions, our accomplishments, our life is all passing away. So is there any hope for us? There is. Look again at the verse. Yes, the world is passing away, but that's not all there is. Um, There are some in this world who will abide forever, who will not pass away. Some of us, hopefully all of us, will abide forever. There is a place where the glory never ends, where the heart is never unhappy, and it is always satisfied, where your cup always overflows. It can happen, but it isn't bought by what's in our wallet. It was bought 2,000 years ago, at the death of Christ. It was bought for you, each one of you, if only we would take it. Um, if you uh, want to hate your idols, uh, the answer is right here. It's one thing to see them, it's another thing to hate them. So remember that the Son of God died for you, and that if you believe in him, you can abide forever. While we were in love with everything that is so viciously sent against God, set against God, he plucked us out of the world and said, Come and abide with me. Shall we keep loving the things that he makes? I mentioned at the start of this message that John's purpose was to remind the church uh, of their assurance in Christ and how they can be assured in Christ. Um, This is included in that. And I don't think we should um, view facing idols as a burdensome thing. Um, Nor should we be uh, in despair at at our own sin. God loves us in spite of it. He he loved us first when we were still sin. So there's no need for us to hide that from him. And at the start of this letter, um, uh, verse 1, John says, we saw him. We saw the word made flesh. We heard him. We touched him. God was all there was uh, to life. For John, for Peter, for Paul, that was because they saw him. They were with him. So meet Jesus in the gospel daily. And this won't feel such a burden as much as it is an opportunity. An opportunity for us to give everything for Jesus. Um, The one who will make us abide forever. The one who will reunite us after the world has passed away. Um, After our song, I thought I might end with these words. This verse. For mine are keys to Zion city, where beside the king I walk. For there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we want to give everything to you. We want there to be no secret parts, um, no hidden areas to our hearts that we, cannot, we are hiding from you. Lord, I pray that we would give everything uh, to you, that we would take what you have said is biblical and apply it to our lives. Um, That we would know your infinite love that you have caused us to abide forever if we place our trust in you and love you. In Jesus' name.